Chapter One, Part One of Our Search for a Wilderness by Mary Blair Beebe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Our First Search, Venezuela. Chapter One The Land of a Single Tree. Part One. One day late in March, nineteen o eight, just as the tropical sun was sinking from view our barefooted spanish crew pulled up anchor from the muddy bottom of port of spain's harbor slowly the sails filled and the spray began to fly from the bow as we steered straight into the crimson path of the sunset behind us the lofty trinidad ranges glowed softly great velvety peaks and ridges purpled by distance gilded by the last rays of day then the twilight passed swiftly as if the sun had been quenched by the waters which covered its face the mountains became merged into the darkness of the sky and the city of busy life behind us melted into a linear constellation of twinkling lights we had chartered a little sloop of twenty-one tons the josefa jacinta manned by a captain a cook and a crew of three at her masthead flew the flag of venezuela with a month's provisions in the hold and all the varied paraphernalia of a naturalist we were headed for the northern part of the orinoco delta in search of the primitive wilderness of which we had dreamed jamaica colon savanilla la guayra had passed in quick succession and we were surprised to find trinidad the most modern and wide awake of all the well-appointed hotels the trolleys electric lights museums and newspapers of port of spain the wireless station even now flashing its aerial messages from yonder peak all boded ill for our search for primeval conditions was there no spot left on earth we wondered which could truthfully be called an untrodden wilderness jungles untouched by axe or fire where guns had not replaced bows and arrows where the creatures of the wilderness were tame through unfamiliarity with human beings the southern cross rose and straightened its arms the pole star hung low in the north as the night wore on an ugly sea arose and half buried our little craft in foam and spray a cross wind disputed our advance and the strong tide drove us out of our course but our captain had navigated these waters for more than half a century and we had no fears the following day was as wild as the night and no living thing appeared in sky or sea save a host of milky jellyfish stomolophus miliagris they kept below the surface and seemed to suffer no damage from the roughness of the water in an area of a square yard we counted twenty and for hour after hour we passed through vast masses of them extending to the furthest waves visible on either hand and as deep down as our eyes could penetrate myriads upon myriads of these lowly beings each vibrating with life and yet unable to guide its course against the tide or to do aught but pulsate 
slowly along later in the day although the water grew less rough the whole company sank lower in the muddy depths muddy because the brown waters of the great orinoco held sway over all this gulf and scatter out at sea the sediment washed from the banks far inland finally the storm passed and we saw a blue cloud to the north hinting at the great mountain ranges of the spanish main ahead a low green mist along the horizon told us we were nearing shore this became more and more distinct until we could make out individual trees by noon we had left the tumultuous waters of the gulf of paria and were floating quietly on a broad stream between two majestic walls of green we had entered our wilderness and the silence and beauty of our reception seemed all the more vivid after the noise and turbulence of the wind and water behind us our first impression was of a vast solitude it was midday and the tide was almost at its height with limp sails we drifted silently onward not a sound of life coming from the green depths about us we skirted the mangroves along the south bank moving more and more slowly until at last we rested motionless on the water between the blazing sky overhead and the muddy depths beneath the tide had reached its highest and like the living creatures of the jungle rested in the midday heat the captain gave a gruff order in spanish and the anchor splashed into the water dragging the chain after with a sudden roar and jangle which echoed from shore to shore jarring the silence as would a shriek of pain in a cathedral a chatter came from the mangroves near at hand and high up among the dense foliage we saw the first life of the continent a wistful little human face gazing out at us a capuchin monkey striving with wrinkled brows to make out what we were at his call two others came and looked then as our sail came down with a rattle of halyards the trio fled through the branches with all the speed which four hands and a tail could lend we spent the afternoon in getting our floating home ready for use no more waves would be encountered so everything was unlashed stereo glasses camera plates and ammunition were placed ready to hand the galley stove was moved far forward and a mosquito-proof tent of netting was erected under the tarpaulin in the stern the sun had sunk low in the west when we saw a long narrow dugout canoe coming downstream an indian woman and her baby were crouched in the bow while in the stern a naked indian paddled swiftly and silently his skin shone like coppery bronze in the sunlight his long black hair was bound back from his face by a thong of hide in front of him rested a bow and arrows and a long fish spear silently he approached and in silence he passed unheeding our salutations one more beauty of this wild wonderland was vouchsafed us before nightfall we had been disappointed in the birds 
where were the myriads of waterfowl of which we had heard we had seen nothing not a single feather but now the scene slowly changed the tide was falling rapidly swirling and eddying past the boat and the roots of the mangroves began to protrude their long stems shining black until the water dried from them mud flats appeared and suddenly without warning a living flame passed us and we had seen our first scarlet ibis past the dark green background of mangrove foliage the magnificent bird flew swiftly flaming with a brilliance which shamed any pigment of human art blood red intensest vermilion deepest scarlet all fail to hint of the living color of the bird before we could recover from our delight a flock of twenty followed flying close together with bills and feet scarlet like the plumage they swerved from their path and alighted on the mud close to the mangroves and began feeding at once then a trio of snowy white egrets with trailing plumes floated overhead others appeared above the tops of the trees a host of tiny sandpipers skimmed the surface of the water and scurried over the flats great kokoi herons swept majestically into view curlews and plover assembled in myriads lining the mud flats at the water's edge while here and there like jets of flame against the mud walked the vermilion ibises terns with great yellow bills flew about the sloop and skimmers ploughed the surface of the tide in endless furrows macaws began to pass shrieking as they flew two and two together and then night closed quickly over all from the zenith the sun had looked down upon a stream as quiet as death it sank upon a scene full of the animation of a myriad forms of life as dusk settled down and hid the shore from our eyes another sense was aroused and to our ears came the sounds of night in these tropical jungles a thousand cries moans crashes all mysterious unexplainable in time we became so accustomed to them that we could distinguish repetitions and details but this first night brought only a confused chorus of delightful mystery now broken by a moment of silence now rising to an awe-inspiring climax one sound only remained clear in our memory often repeated now uttered in lower now in higher tones a terrible choking sigh it might have been the last death gasp of some great monkey or the pitiful utterance of hopelessness of a madman with the turn of the tide we raised anchor and drifted through the night mile after mile for six hours and then anchored again and thus it was that we came to our wilderness not until we had been in the mangrove jungle for many days did we begin to realize its vastness its mystery its primeval character just four hundred and ten years ago 
Christopher Columbus sailed through the gulf we had left and gazed on the dark forest in the heart of which we now were. Throughout the whole extent of the mangrove wilderness, we found no hint that conditions were not as they were in 1498. One of the most astonishing things about the mangrove forest is the apparent diversity of its plant life. Until one actually comes within reach of trunk and leaves, it is impossible to believe that all this forest is composed of a single species of plant. The foliage of some of the trees is light, of others dark. Here stands a clump of pale beech-like trunks. There a dark, rough-barked individual is seen. The manner of growth of the young and old trees is so different that a confusion of mingled trees, shrubs, and vines seems to confront one. But everywhere the mangrove reigns supreme. It is the only vegetable growth which can gain a footing in this world of salt water. In fact, it makes its own footing, entangling and holding mud and debris about its stems and ever blindly reaching out dangling roots like the legs of gigantic spiders far out on the tip of a lofty branch a mangrove seed will germinate before it falls assuming the appearance of a loaded club from eight to fifteen inches in length one day it lets go and drops like a plummet into the soft mud where it sticks upright. Soon the tide rises, and if there is too strong a current, the young plant is swept away to perish far out at sea. But if it can maintain its hold, roots soon spring out, and the ideal of the mangrove is realized, the purpose for which all this interesting phenomena is intended. The forest has gained a few yards, and mud and leaves will soon choke out the intervening water. The mangroves have still another method of gaining new territory. Aerial roots are thrown out from branches high in air, swinging downward and outward with a curve which sometimes winds three or four yards ahead. Like hawsers thrown from a vessel to a wharf, these roots clutch at the mud beneath and where the current runs swiftly they swing and dangle in vain until they have grown so heavy that they touch bottom some distance downstream we made use of these dangling roots as anchors for our canoe bending the elastic unattached end upward and springing it over the gunwale throughout all this region there is not a foot of solid ground in one place we pushed a tall chute some eight feet in height straight down through the mud, and it went out of sight. A man falling on this mud, out of reach of aid, would vanish as in a quicksand. So the wild creatures of the mangroves must either swim, fly, or climb. No terrestrial beings can exist there. We once selected a favorable place and for fifty yards made our way over the roots and branches before exhaustion 
and an impassable gap of mud and water stopped all progress as never before we realized how safe from man are the denizens of these strange swamps monkeys fled swiftly before us birds rose and flew overhead while we painfully crept and pulled ourselves along over the slippery stems more wonderful even than the coral polyps are these mangroves for by this plant alone all this region has been rescued from the sea and built up into land in future years as the mud banks become higher and are fertilized by the ever-falling leaves other growths will appear and finally the coasts of the continent will be thus extended by many scores of miles of fertile soil a network of narrow channels stretches through this wilderness and allowed us to explore the far interior in our shallow curiara or dugout thus we spent days and weeks in search of the creatures which lived in this land of a single tree and here we learned how delightful the climate of such a region can be every night we slept under blankets and during the day the temperature ranged from sixty six degrees at five and six o'clock in the morning to about eighty six degrees at noon although we were within nine degrees of the equator one could paddle all day with more comfort than on a hot summer day in the north by day mosquitoes were generally absent and only a few biting flies reminded us of the terrible insect scourges of the tropics life was delightfully new and strange with the spice of danger ever attendant upon the exploration of unknown lands end of chapter one part one